From Relay FM, this is Virtual, episode number 39. Today's show is brought to you by Igloo, an intranet you'll actually like, and Hover, simplified domain management. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hi, Federico. Hey, Mike. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? I am very well. We've got some exciting games and stuff to talk about today, I think. Yeah, yeah. New, new games, uh-huh. new, new stuff, and it's always good. I managed to... Um, kill the, the character in the iPhone game I was playing awesome. and I felt super bad so we're gonna talk about that later um, because you know feelings and stuff but first I think we, we <laughs> I think we have some follow-up Mike we do um, this is just something I mean we spoke about this game quite a while ago but I thought it would be worth mm-hmm. bringing up today uh, Guacamele um, is currently free on PlayStation Plus so 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 great I mean it's free I mean, why wouldn't you get a free game, which is also a fantastic game? You know, we talked about this, I think, last year. It's a, it's a kind of new take on the Metroidvania uh, kind of style of games. Uh, super fun. Can be tricky sometimes, right? I think we remember you were stuck at some point, Mike. Yeah, I did get a bit stuck. It's difficult, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And if you have PlayStation Plus... You should get it, and this might actually be worth signing up for PlayStation Plus. This game, even if you cancel it after a month or whatever, it is a it's a good one. It is a really good one. It's a good good game to get for free. Yeah, you know what? I, what I should find a way to do is to remember to download PlayStation Plus free stuff, like to automatically create a to do every time there's a new PlayStation Plus offer. Yeah, that would be a good. I idea. always forget. I always forget to download free stuff. You know? Yeah, one of the easiest probably... ways to do it is just to go in on the website and just add them to your cart and then download them. Yeah. Later. But I what if I actually forget to, to go to the website? You know, I, maybe, that's, that's maybe like any time I should try to find an, some kind of RSS feed for PlayStation Plus. Uh, like there's a blog post every time they announce uh, new free downloads. So maybe yeah. I could create some kind of recipe <laughs> and every time there's a there's a blog post I create a to-do too. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. how crazy. This sounds like probably. something that your dreams are made of. Yes, exactly. Anyway, moving on, Mike, I got some links for you and actually they're, <laughs> uh, they're pretty much all focused on Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, it's just been a, some kind of, a, I guess it's been a Nintendo week for me. Sure. Anyway, Nintendo is considering region-free games, region-free consoles specifically, again. Uh-huh. Um, there was a, actually just a comment from Satoru Iwata. They are positively thinking, this is the English translation, about uh, region-free for the next generation of consoles. So what is uh, codenamed as the Nintendo NX, uh, so the successor to the Wii U and the 3DS, uh, we assume. And this is... Interesting. I mean, I remember when I could, you know, buy games in Japan and play them on my on my console in Europe, and that was great because it, it meant that I could, you know, learn, even if they were not necessarily Japanese games, uh, so I could play them earlier, or maybe I could play them because they were not coming to Europe at all, but I could also buy American games so I could learn English, you know, because those were, those were the days when, when we were not getting English translations in video games released in Italy. It were, they were really dark, and, uh, you know, 
grim days. Anyway, <laughs> it will be interesting for the next Nintendo console, especially because I think Nintendo has a lot of uh, catch-up to do, especially in terms of reacquiring faith from the community. It would be interesting to kind of find a way to appeal to hardcore Nintendo gamers and say, okay, yeah, we made a region-free console. Go crazy. Uh, But to me, the problem seems that increasingly, uh, this is not like 10 years ago when the only way to buy a game was to buy the physical copy. So having a region-free console allowed you to buy the physical copy, import the physical copy and buy, you know, and play the physical game on your console. What if you try to apply the the concept of region free on the digital eShop because you create all sorts of problems with can you buy a Japanese game with your Italian credit card with an eShop account that is a European one but you actually want to go to the Japanese eShop does this only work for physical games uh, it's I feel a, like this you know, should be physical games only maybe because once sense. you once you try to do the, the digital stuff it, it's it's a rabbit hole, mm-hmm. really. So they're they are thinking about region free, and it could be that you know they're thinking, they, yeah, we're thinking, you know, <laughs> we just thought about it, and we're not gonna do it. Yeah, we're always uh, thinking. <laughs> we're always thinking. We're always we're always considering options. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, speaking of uh, the old days, and this goes way back. Uh, did you know, Mike, that there used to be a TV? With an NES built-in. I did not and know this. So this is amazing. Uh, y- there was a. Uh, it was called the Sharp Game Television, and it was like an old CRT, you know, TV with an NES. In the actual TV, you could you know stick cartridges into the TV, that and you could weird. play NES games. It was it's super weird. Why would and you the need way this? I don't know. And and there was like little little feet at the bottom of the TV to prevent the the, the old structure from tipping over. <laughs> it was awful. And the way that I discovered this was uh this channel on YouTube that Polygon wrote about called Gaming Historian and this person has a it appears a very popular YouTube channel, which is part of... Uh, it is one of my new subscriptions, of course. And so he goes to talk about this weird and odd and definitely not successful or popular uh, experiment by Sharp and Nintendo. And yeah, it was... Uh, of course if you want to if you want to find one of these <laughs> experiments on eBay today it's quite difficult because only a few hundred copies i think units i think were were sold to consumers it was like a terrible terrible failure yeah. and so i i kept browsing the gaming historian channel on youtube and i came across this video um, so he takes a look uh, at all kinds of old games, old consoles, and like uh, he does some sort of like uh, themes, like uh, the best characters from you know this game, and you know so he does some kind of collections, not just videos about individual games and consoles. And one of these videos is about Nintendo's three biggest mistakes over you know over the decades. And it's a it's a very fascinating list, and um, it picks the Virtual Boy uh, using cartridges on the Nintendo 64 as opposed to CDs, as Sony did with the PlayStation, and the entire you know debacle with Sony and Sony you know 
very famously Sony wanted to make the first PlayStation as an add-on for the Super Nintendo and instead Nintendo basically let Sony announce the PlayStation as a as a you know, as a console that could play CD games and Super Nintendo games. And then, like, the following day, they announced, the Nintendo announced they were going with Philips, which was, like, Sony's big nemesis. And Sony was so upset about this whole deal that they decided to pursue the, the PlayStation project on their own. And eventually they launched the Sony PlayStation two years later, and they, you know, they basically reinvented... History. Yes, the rest is they reinvented the console market to Nintendo's detriment. And so this is an interesting list, fascinating video, very well produced. And of course, the Virtual Boy is mostly a joke. So it's easy to agree that it's it's one of Nintendo's biggest mistakes. I, I cannot imagine why or how they decided to go with virtual reality when clearly the hardware was really not ready. And the... The problem with the Virtual Boy is that, I mean, the console was terrible, the games were terrible, and it gave you a headache when you tried to play video games on it. But the real, like, the sad outcome of the Virtual Boy was uh, Gunpei Yokoi uh, leaving Nintendo. You know, the, the genius and visionary who came up with the with the Game & Watch, who contributed to the original Game Boy, to the Metroid saga. He insisted on making the Virtual Boy, and he never fully acknowledged why he was leaving Nintendo. Uh, But according to many, many sources and rumors, uh, the failure of the Virtual Boy, uh, especially, you know, in the Japanese kind of office culture, uh, he felt so bad about the, the, the... you know, the failure of the console that he had to leave Nintendo. And the following year, he died in a, in a car accident. So mm. the Virtual Boy was, was really a joke of a console in many ways, but the outcome from a personal perspective for Gunpei Yokoi was it's really, really just sad. And oh, using cartridges on the Nintendo 64, looking back, you know, how many years later? Like 15 years later, I think? Mm. It's kind of obvious. I mean, why didn't you go with CDs? Right, I mean, the Sony PlayStation using CDs, they were cheaper to make for developers. They could hold more data, so you could have full 3D graphics and um, you know the the CGI videos, the, the 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 fully animated computer graphics videos that used to be so popular with you know with many different types of games, whether they were sports games or uh, role-playing games, Metal Gear Solid, you know, this kind of stuff. And players went crazy about the, the full motion videos on, on, on PlayStation. And then, I mean, uh, the third one, the, the, the Sony PlayStation mistake with the Super Nintendo, I think that's pretty pretty clear. And I've been thinking about this list, and I, I mean, if it's not clear enough, I totally agree, but I'm thinking... We are looking at these mistakes uh, with the hindsight of 10 to 15 years, maybe more in some cases. What about 10 years from now? What do you think, Mike, will be the biggest mistakes remembered by, you know, in 10 years by some guy on YouTube? The Wii U marketing problem. <laughs> yes. That's, that's the so biggest bad. one. The fact that they, <laughs> they created a product that they couldn't market properly. So, like, actually, I think the entire console generation was a problem for them because they created 
two consoles that couldn't be marketed. Like the 3DS, you can only see its main like thing differentiator in person, right? The 3D. You can't show that to people unless they see it. And the Wii U effectively just looks like the same console to people. And they gave it a similar name. So they couldn't really show people. Like, oh, I've got a Wii. I don't need the new one. Right. Every rather- time. Yeah, I agree. Every time I um, I invite friends over to, to my house for like for dinner. And then we stay uh, at my house after and I tell them that I have the the latest Nintendo console. I'm like, if we can play some Wii U, they're like, what? Uh, they they have no idea what a Wii U is. They're like, is it some kind of Wii accessory? And I'm like, no, it's the new Wii. And basically, all they know is that Nintendo made the Nintendo Wii many years ago, and then kind of they stopped. And so they they all they know is that Nintendo still has the Wii. They are super confused by the fact that there's... And what's even more confusing is that they know about, like, there's a new Mario Kart, there's a new Super Smash Brothers. They don't know about the Wii U console as a new console, you know? So, Mike, uh, the next link is um, is just an article that I would like you to read and our listeners to read uh, because they can find the link in the show notes. Mike, tell us all about the show notes. The show notes can be found in your podcast app of choice, or you can head on over to relay.fm slash virtual slash 39, where you can uh, we can see a bit more about that. Such a great invention, the show notes. They were a great invention. You know? So this article by Tiny Cartridge, great, great website and podcast that I also listen to. Um, this is actually a topic that is always kind of... Uh, picked my curiosity and so I'm glad that now I know more because of this article it's about level five and the the huge fr- franchises that they're making and that they've been developing for a few years such as uh, Inazuma 11 you know the uh, soccer high school soccer slash role-playing game for the Nintendo DS and then the Nintendo 3DS um, and also this phenomenon of yokai watch, which is basically it's huge in Japan, and it's kind of like a Pokemon game. It's about this kid who has a, a special watch, and this special watch lets him say, lets him see um, like monsters uh, around Japanese cities. It's difficult to explain. There's an, a proper uh, description of yokai watch at Tiny Cartridge, but basically, is uh, level five is making these big games that are super popular, and what they do, it's they don't stop at the games. They make toys, they make anime, they make all sorts of deals with other companies to increase the exposure of these games. And it appears that Yokai Watch w- could be like one of the ne- next major series to kind of come to the West from Japan. It looks fantastic, the game and the design and the characters. So... I've always been, for example, I've always been fascinated by Inazuma 11. I've always wanted to play this game because, you know, I'm coming from uh, the perspective of someone who was over the years read a lot of manga, you know, uh, especially manga take, that take place in the Japanese high school kind of framework. Uh, I'm thinking, for instance, about stuff like Slam Dunk, you know, this manga about... Um, 
Japanese teens played playing basketball in high school, and one of my favorite mangas I've ever ever read. And so I've always been, you know, um, interested in playing Inazuma Eleven. I just don't know where to start. I think um, there is. A remake for the 3DS of the original game. I just don't know for sure, so I I, I can rest assured that this week uh, some listener is gonna send me proper instruction to to start playing the Inazuma series. And to whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you in advance for for doing this to me. It's very presumptive. No, no, no. I don't mean to be arrogant. I just know that there's good good people out there. Uh, you know, our listeners yeah. are are good people. They are and good people. They care. They care about me and you for some reason, and we care about them. Uh-huh. So you know, it's a it's a good relationship. Those yeah, are good good folks out there on Twitter and email. We love you, and we also love games. So send us suggestions, and especially me because I do love you know these kind of games. Um, Mike. Yes. I have a couple of more links for you. Okay. Um, but I think you 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 want to tell us about something great. I do indeed. This week's episode of Virtual is brought to you by Hover. Hover is the only place to buy a domain name. So today, Federico, I was uh, I was talking to my girlfriend, mm-hmm. and uh, we I'm, I'm not going to share all the details of this, but we have pet names for each other, right? I think I've talked mm-hmm. this before, like like everybody does. Yeah. Um, and we share a name that's the same. So the name that we call each other, we both call each other the same name. It's mm-hmm, like yeah. a word that we made up. Um, so I, today, uh, we were telling jokes to each other, like messing around. We were drawing little pictures on our Apple Watches back and forth. Um, and she said that I was the best and then used the pet name that we have, you know, like the champion, basically. So I went to Hover today and bought um, a domain name to signify that she was actually the best and the domain name then pointed to her Twitter profile. So I sent her the URL, she clicked it, and she oh, saw her own face. That's so, so sweet. This was just part of the ongoing escalating jokes that we had throughout the day. So basically, <laughs> Hover let me win this exchange. Um, and it was so simple. I went. That's awesome. I d- how, how, how long did it take you to, to buy a domain? I'm not kidding, right? So I, I went to hover.com, <laughs> typed it in. It was available, the .com. I clicked it. Uh, and then I just put it into my checkout. I already have an account with them, so it was really easy. And so then I just I bought it. Uh, I'm not. I think it was about a minute from searching to buying, and then like another half a minute to set up a forward on the domain. So within like 90 seconds, I'd won the the uh, Q exchange today, and that was That's thanks awesome. to Hover.com. So That's awesome. <laughs> Hover.com, and, and so it was twelve ninety nine was my domain, right? Which is a great price. I got Who is Privacy for free. I bought a .com and got Who is Privacy, which is good uh, because you know I like to keep my information private, especially the silly pet names that me and my girlfriend have for each other. Uh, I could have gotten any kind of TLD that I wanted. I could have got .sexy, which might be you know that might be another good idea for future uh, Q exchanges. Who knows? Or <laughs> I could go for .co's, .me, .net, anything you want. They have great customer support. I didn't need it today, but Hover have no hold no wait no transfer telephone support they have great email support as well they also have their valet service so if you're transferring your uh, domains from somewhere else hover can just take care of it all for you uh, they just take all the hassle away they just do it so you can't run into any issues with other providers they'll just move them all over um, you can go right now to hover.com try them out for yourself you want to use the code cooper k-o-o-p 
PA at checkout. This is going to get you 10% off your first purchase at Hover.com and show your support for Virtual and Relay FM. Thank you very much to Hover for helping us out today. Uh, I always, me. I always, yes, I always love your your promo codes. It's a good one, right? That's a good one. They're amazing. Um, so, Mike, if you, I don't know how long uh, you've known or played the Super Smash series, but I can tell you that since I've been on the on the internet uh, and uh, you know following the Super Smash community uh, on blogs and forums when I when I was younger. There's always been one common request. Let us play with Dragon Ball characters in Super Smash Bros. That has never been the case, of course, and th these requests have gotten more uh, popular and, you know, increasingly uh, shared by members of the community as Nintendo kept adding characters from external kind of companies to Super Smash Bros., and they never added like Goku or Vegeta, you know, or the or these characters. And so, of course, someone made a mod for <laughs> Super Smash Bros. Brawl, which is the the old Wii game. Not exactly the highest point in the series, uh, but apparently people have figured out a way to to make modifications to the game so there's a Kotaku article with a bunch of videos uh, you can take a look uh, at the Dragon Ball uh, characters fighting against each other it's it's done really well um, especially you know with animations and sounds like the special moves of the characters it's really done well and it confirms that the modding community is crazy and also like <laughs> crazy and awesome at the same time they do have a problem but it's a good problem if you know what I mean yeah. um I also wanted to quickly touch upon, I, I don't know if, you, if I ever brought this up on the show, uh, my relationship with Dragon Ball fighting games when I was really young, like 10. Um, so you told me, Mike, that you're not so familiar with the Dragon Ball series, the, the anime or the manga. Okay. So in Italy, when I, when I was young, um, it was a tradition like Italian people... I need to provide so much context for this. Okay, so Italian people have lunch at 1 p.m. usually and dinner at 8 p.m. usually. This is on average. Mm -hmm. And so it used to be a tradition for, you know, for kids like me. You go home from school, you sit down at the table with your parents, you have lunch, and there's the news at, at 1 p.m. Uh, you can watch the news on Channel 1 or Channel 5. And the news are usually over at 1.30. So after the news, there's the cartoons. We call them the cartoons. It's basically anime on, on Channel 6. So after lunch, I used to watch Dragon Ball on Channel 6 with, you know, you know, and then I could talk about the episode with my friends at school the following day. And everybody was watching Dragon Ball because there was Dragon Ball and then The Simpsons. Um, so we would watch, you know, Dragon Ball and The Simpsons and talk about the, like the jokes and the story uh, the following day at school. So Dragon Ball was huge when I was 10 or 12. And everybody was into Dragon Ball. You know, we were buying Dragon Ball figurines, the manga, because we wanted to know the story before the anime, of course. Um and, and you could buy the Dragon Ball costumes, anything. It was Dragon Ball, all the things. And, of course, eventually we got to know that there were Dragon Ball video games. 
But the problem was that they were only releasing Japan. So this is before <laughs> this is before the internet. This is before you could ask questions on Twitter. This is before you know forum boards. It was like all urban legends about Dragon Ball games. So we didn't we didn't know how to get these games. We just know they existed somewhere. And eventually, uh, this is you know uh, back in the days when. Um, they were they were the first um, modifications for the for the original PlayStation, and you could buy, of course, you know, pirated games, but you could also buy imported games and play them on your PlayStation, whether you had one of those uh, cheap modifications or a Game Shark uh, accessory. Um, and we managed to find a guy who knew how to get two Dragon Ball games. Uh, the first one was was relatively easy to get and to play in Europe. It was a 3D game. Um, it was kind of like a Tekken, like the fighting game Tekken with the yeah. you know 3D models and backgrounds. I don't remember the the name. I'm pretty sure we managed to buy a French copy of this game, like me and my friends uh, at the camping area, because of course, you know, Dragon Ball tradition of watching the, the anime after lunch uh, continued even after school was over and I was at the camping area in June and July. All my friends would gather, you know, imagine 10 kids watching Dragon Ball and being super excited about Dragon Ball. So we kind of made a, we threw our, our money together, we bought this game from this guy and we had a French copy of the game, and we played the game on my PlayStation. And the game was terrible. Looking back, it was awful. Like, the controls were bad, the game was slow, the, the, the voiceover was terrible, and in French. Um, but we loved it, you know? And we played so much of that game. I don't remember the name. It was Dragon Ball something i don't know it was in 3d the graphics were super bad and and the animations were terrible but it kind of you know we were 12 or 13 and we were okay with it the second game <laughs> it was uh so it was it had this like legendary status of being only released in japan and it was it was called dragon ball legends and it was apparently like a super fantastic Dragon Ball game. So I personally searched for this game for, I think, two years. And eventually I found one of those um, like street sellers. Is that, a, is that a thing in the UK? Has it ever been a thing in the UK? Like yeah. people who sell CDs and like video game yeah. CDs yeah. and music CDs on the street. So I was in another town and quite... Quite a coincidence, actually, the town where eventually I would get all my all my chemo treatments. I just didn't know. Um, so I was in that town only many, many years before all, you know, the personal stuff. And I found a street seller uh, with a copy of Dragon Ball Legends in Japanese. And I bought that copy so hard. <laughs> and I was so happy. And I went back to my friends and was like, I have Dragon Ball Legends. And they were like, no way. So we were so, so excited. I put the game in my PlayStation. I don't know what it says. It's all in Japanese. We try to play the game. We don't know what's going on. There's a bunch of menus. It was kind of like uh, Super Smash Bros. in 2D with Dragon Ball characters. 
it just didn't make sense to us and we were super sad because we we thought that it was great it wasn't great but it wasn't great because we couldn't understand the language so i i put the copy away and we were back to playing the 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 terrible dragon ball 3d game which was kind of cool to us but we really wanted to enjoy legends but it was in japanese so mm. yeah anyway I just had this little story, you know. Last link, Mike. Mm-hmm. And then we got some some sweet topics to discuss and we games sure we've been playing. Um, I wanted to kind of know your opinion about this article that I found on Polygon that I shared on Twitter a couple of days ago. And I think it. Per, I personally think it's hard to disagree with the uh, with the opinion of this article. So it's um it's an article from a indie game developer and is thesis is that big indie game developers this is a, a who, lady katie katie okay Kiranis. didn't know thank you um is that these big indie developers are killing actual indies uh, that want to do kickstarters so she refers to big quote-unquote indie campaigns such as uh, Koji Garashi that we talked about last week with Bloodstained. And I guess you could go all the way back to Double Fine with Broken Age and Mighty Number no. 1 from the Mega Man creator. So all these theoretically indie campaigns that launch Kickstarters and they uh, manage to collect millions of dollars. But actually the problem is that even with all these funds, those are not you know, enough to create these big impact, big budgets game. So they only go to Kickstarter effectively as a marketing tool because later they actually still go to the publishers to ask for many more millions of dollars yeah, to like run the we studios. Yeah, like about last week, right? Yeah, Bloodstained. It yeah. was just basically a way to prove a point. She says in the article, they just go to Kickstarter, they ask for half a million dollars just to prove a point. And and it's a problem, she says, when a, when a 7.2 million game masquerades as a, as a half a million game where effectively you're you're selling the idea that you need half a million dollars to make a game and people just you know they create they develop the assumption that okay so if you want to make this kind of game like a new Mega Man or a new Castlevania you mm. need just a half a million dollars but that's not true because you need much more money so when an actual indie goes to Kickstarter and they ask for I don't know three hundred thousand dollars and because they want to finish the game, they want to pay salaries, they want, you know, they have a studio to run, they have taxes and all those expenses. People are like, no way, you're an indie? Why do you need all this money when Koji Garashi or Mighty Number no. 1 need a, you know, just a little more for a completely different type of game? So it's a problem, right? When these people use Kickstarter not as a real crowdfunding campaign, but as a marketing tool. And I kind of wanted to... Or a proof of concept kind of thing. A proof of concept, Yes. So I kind of wanted to poke your brain and and know what what you're thinking. I think it's uh I think it's a problem. I do. I think that if you're masquerading as like this is going to help us make our thing, that's not going to, you know, that that looks bad for other people. Like I I agree with the idea that it's it feels kind of disingenuous to me to have a Kickstarter campaign that is going to then get you funded from more traditional means. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, there's just something about it that doesn't feel right because it kind of feels like a Kickstarter campaign raises the money to create the thing 
and if it still needs more money, like I understand that, but I understand why, like I, I get it. But it, it's like last week when we were talking about Bloodstained and I thought that it was insane. Like it just seems like such a crazy thing to me, like that you would then be able to go, you would then take that to publishers and get money. Because I don't know, something about Kickstarter feels quite independent in and of itself. And the idea that then it's still going through the traditional corporate channels still like just feels a little bit weird to me. Yeah, and it creates a problem for, again, for people who really want to do Kickstarter for to raise funds that are like actual claims, you know, we need to pay taxes, we need to pay salaries, and we want to make a game. And I think, I mean, every time you create a platform like this, there's people who are going to use this platform in different ways, and usually as marketing tools. And... You know, we see this sort of behavior from people who try to kind of, I wouldn't say cheating, but maybe to use, you know, popular platforms like Kickstarter as an extended like PR marketing service. And I think personally, I think Kickstarter should should uh, try to, to create new rules because it if this continues this is going to be a problem for real people who want to have real crowdfunding campaign campaigns and they in my opinion if they want to make sure that you know the real small independent indie studio um, wants to make a game in the future and ask for money they need to fight against this mentality that you can that big studios can make big games with just a few hundred just a just half a million dollar, for example, and Kickstarter needs to to kind of to set new rules. I think new guidelines or whatever. Just don't use Kickstarter as a marketing campaign if you have a publisher that backs you with millions of dollars anyway. I don't know, but it's an interesting article. Yep, I agree. So, Mike, um, kind of wanted to update you on um, on this game that uh, we talked. I think actually for a couple of times now, Lifeline. Mm-hmm. It's this game for iPhone that also has an Apple Watch version and that lets you like text an astronaut on this planet. So here's what I did. Um, my character, so the game doesn't tell you whether it's a, it's a man or a woman. It's kind of up to you to, to give your interpretation. Uh, my interpretation for some reason is that he's a, he's a, he's a high school boy who went on a on a school mission to explore space. So that's the, the story that I made up for me. <laughs> so my guy was asking me, so he's on this planet and everybody's is uh, uh, seemingly dead. Uh, he can he just can see the smoke raising in, on the horizon from the uh, from you know um, the spaceship that crashed on the on the on the ground. So he says, should I go to the to see what's left of, of the spaceship, or should I go to this man in in the background and try to climb and see what's on the other side? And I insisted that he that he that he go to the to the mountain and that he try to climb it. And he he started telling me, I have no experience in climbing. I've never climbed before. And should I really go? And I'm like, yeah, sure, go. So he. 
tries to make me understand that it's not the best option for, you know, for a couple of days. Because the, the game plays out in real time, and every time it's like, okay, this will take me a few hours, so you need to check, up, uh, to check on the character the, the following day. So for a couple of days, I'm like, yeah, sure, go to the, to the mountain, go to the rocks, and try to climb, to climb the rocks, whatever. So he arrives at the, at the site... And he's like, okay, these, uh, this wall of rocks is, uh, there's no way for me to climb it because it's so, uh, like, it, it's super smooth. There's no way that I can grab a rock and start climbing. I, I don't know how to do this. What should I do? And I insist, please climb the wall of rocks. And so he tries, and I think he, he fell to the ground and he died. And, and so I felt... I, you know, I felt sad because there was this boy, again, in my mind, it's a boy, it's a very young boy, probably 20 or 18 because he's still in high school. So, and he tells me, look, I've never climbed before. I feel alone. What should I do? And I'm this, you know, I'm this sort of boss, remote boss, sending instructions over uh, like iMessage, whatever, in space of all things. And I insist that he climb a mountain to just see what's on the other side what he should have just gone to explore the spaceship and you know maybe try to find some food whatever and he died and the game told me basically that i was stupid uh it fortunately you can restart the game and try to make different choices which which is a really interesting uh, concept especially because we talked a, a couple of weeks ago about games teaching you a lesson and the concept of death in video games and i think this is a good example they let the the game lets you make your own choices but then when you die it's not final you can re-explore your choices and try you know different path and try to to be better so the game told me i was dumb and that the character died because he never climbed before of course he tried to tell me i didn't trust him and i felt super sad just looking at the message and because actually i think the game told me that there was no response from the the, uh, the face suit that he was wearing and there was no heartbeat and he was dead and he felt so real right and and again I, i you know i get emotional about this stuff and he was dead so i was like oh man i'm so like i'm a jerk you know and so i started i restarted the game now i'm letting him explore the i'm sorry for the spoiler mike there's a spaceship like crash area and he went into the spaceship he tried to find some food he could only find uh, rat food like rat pellets i think and so he tried to eat those and they tasted terrible and then this was interesting because it again this game it's it really blends like real life real time like it's a texting interface and it feels like you're texting another another person but this time it felt even more real because in the game he says look i'm about to it's getting cold and i need to sleep and i need some kind of shelter and there's the engine uh, that that is still warm and i could probably try to find protection uh, nearby and so i can stay warm but the problem is that the engine is powered by by radiation so what if i'm exposed to radiation overnight what's the like can i survive 150 rads which is the unit of measure for exposure to radiation and he's like can you try to understand whether i can survive so basically the game wanted me to google this information (laughs) so i was like 
do I really need to Google stuff for a game? So he, he asked me twice and I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's trying, to, it's trying to, to make me Google stuff. So I Googled uh, radiation exposure. Uh, uh, maybe I, I actually Google radiation exposure 24 hours, something like that, maybe overnight. So the first result is the Wikipedia entry for radiation exposure, and you can you, you don't even need to scroll to scroll the page. There's already the like the amount of reds that you can take over the course of 24 hours, and 150 was okay for a single day, uh, and especially for a single night. And Wikipedia told me that. The, there were, there wasn't going to be any consequence. Uh, usually, in most human beings. So this is real life, right? This is real human exposure to radiation. And so I went back to the game. I told the character to, to you know, to sleep by the engine. And he's like, "Man, I'm really scared, but I guess we'll find out tomorrow." And I woke up the following day. Again, this is real life. And I got a message from the game, and he told me that he survived the night and that he felt okay. And to me, this was amazing. Like, man, this game sounds really good. I mean, it, this game had me Google stuff in real life and I could see from like the game designer actually wanted me to find this page because when I got to like it was like I felt I felt like the game already knew what kind of Wikipedia entry I was gonna look for because the information was in the in the first section I didn't even need to scroll to scroll the page it was right there and I felt like I was being like I was being indirectly told what to do. I don't know. It felt it felt so strange to have a game with this kind of instructions. And so I'm still playing the game. It's okay. It just it just had to throw up at some point because it was sick. I'm not sure whether it was a, like a like like a side effect of radiation or maybe because it was just the stress. But it's still alive. So I'm I'm still playing the game. And I just wanted to kind of like it's it's a different game it's very unique and if you've never if you if you still to to play lifeline go check it out on the app store because it's got some real good and novel ideas and i'm i'm, I'm surprised every time by this game wow that's awesome man yeah i mean i googled radiation exposure so i also learned uh, a new thing you know hooray <laughs> I mean, I've been exposed to radiation quite a, quite a bit, you know, over the past couple of years. Uh, but I, I never actually Googled the page. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's a very good game. Cool. Uh, shall we shall we take our final break and then talk about a couple of other games we've both been yes. playing this week? Yes. This episode of Virtual is also brought to you by Igloo, the internet you'll actually like. We all have these fantastic devices that have these beautiful screens that look at fantastic things on the internet. But what if you're looking at them to stare at an intranet that looks like it was built in the 90s? Nobody wants that, and this is what Igloo can help you fix. Not only can Igloo be customized to look exactly how you want with your brand's colors and logos and all that fantastic stuff. But with its responsive design, it's automatically optimized for any device that you use, whether it be an iPhone, an iPad, a Mac, or whatever. Any size is going to look great. And just like all of your favorite devices, Igloo enables you to do your best work. You can share files, coordinate calendars, provide status updates, Yo. and manage your projects. Igloo is not just for your traditional intranet stuff like HR policies and expense forms. It also helps you get 
together with your teams to work better from wherever you are. Igloo's most recent release, Viking, revolves around how documents are used in your business and how you interact with them, gather feedback, and make changes. So everybody can see things in the great document preview engine. You're all able to work on the same file. There's no like conflict. You download it. You up, do what you need to do. You upload it. Everyone's on the same page. They've also added the ability to track who has read critical information to ensure that everybody has seen what they need to see. If your company has a legacy internet that looks like it was built in the 90s, you should be giving Igloo a try. If you sign up right now, you can try out Igloo for free for any team of up to 10 people for as long as you want because Igloo understands sometimes it takes a little time. Love doesn't just happen overnight. So you can try it out for as long as you want. If you sign up right now at igloosoftware.com slash virtual. Thank you so much to Igloo for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. So, Mike, do you wanna do you wanna tell me about uh, what you've been doing? I've been the... I've been a little bit obsessed with Mario Kart this week. <laughs> okay, tell me. So, I think I was so upset at myself about the the two hundred CC mode and the fact that I just feel like I can't do it anymore. That I have started playing through the other ones and just getting the three gold stars on all of them. You know, you have to get first place in every race in a Grand Prix, right? So, I've Completed all the 100cc, mm-hmm. and I've got the gold stars on those, and now I'm on 150, right? I've done one of those so far, uh, and I feel like I'm terrible at Mario Kart again. It, it seems like the jump from 100 to 150 or 200 is crazy, because like, what I can do is with 150 as opposed to 200, I can win some races, but like, the thing is, I'm like maybe on race three, and I come second. It's like, well, now I have to start all over again. Uh, so it is a frustrating experience, but I'm enjoying it. And I'm remembering how much I love the Wii U, like just as a system. Like, for example, I can, like, when when with some shows that I edit, I listen back to the entire thing and edit them, right? Like mm-hmm. Inquisitive or Rocket. Um, so I'm able to have that playing because I use the TV, right, for my Mac Pro. So that's over there, and I'm just listening to it, and I can play the I can play Mario Kart just on the Wii U gamepad. Hmm. Whilst I'm editing, nice. you know, it, so it's like, yeah, I remember why I love this system so much. But how can you play while you're editing a show? Well, because I just got to listen, and then oh, right. when I hear something I need to fix, I just pause just the game, pause the and, game and, and then and... just fix it. Oh, makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise I'm just sitting there. I can't really do anything too intensive. I can't read anything or write anything. Um, so I figure play some video games. That's awesome. So, do you plan on taking your new? Uh, Mario Kart skills online? Uh, I haven't got good skills. Uh, I don't know, maybe. Maybe you play have, against you, you again. You have the skills. Need to beat you. Mm. We'll see. We'll see. I gotta, I gotta play some more, you know? Yeah. So, Mike, I've been playing, and I think you've been playing too, um, Puzzle and Dragons, which I is have out. indeed. It's out this week. So, it was out in Europe, and we didn't know. You told me, and we freaked out. And it's out today in the US as mm-hmm. well. So, we, we've been playing for two days, I think, at this point. Uh, I'm already, uh, already by my standards, uh, at World 2. Is that where you're, where you're at, Mike? Yeah, I'm at, I think, the boss of World 2, like the final, the Bowser Castle, basically. Okay, so you're slightly ahead of me. Yeah, I started uh, playing before you did. Yeah. So I mean, I think I'm in love. So this game is a puzzle game. Uh, it uh, it comes in two flavors. You can play the normal Puzzle and Dragons kind of game, or you can play the Mario themed 
Puzzle Dragons, which is the, the Puzzle Dragons game with Mario characters in the Mario universe with Mario items and power-ups. So the game is a puzzle game. You need to, to match uh, three or more uh, tiles, I think they're called, um, of the same kind. So in the Mario game you have uh, like the fire flower, the star, uh, the you have the, the, the leaf, I guess, from Animal Crossing. So you need to match the same items either horizontally or vertically with the stylus you need to move. And the point of the game is to have combos because when you do combos, so when you make sure that by moving tiles around and you can, you manage to uh, clear more lines in a row so you can do you know I, I I always like it when I do like three four five six seven eight combos um, you do damage because there's an enemy in the top screen usually it can be one enemy it can be a bunch of enemies and so you do damage and you have a team of characters so you can assemble a team a team with a team leader a team helper and like um, other team members so my team for example is Super Mario with a purple toad as a helper and a bunch of goombas and koopas as other team members and the, what's peculiar about this game is a, not just a puzzle game it's also a role-playing game because each each team member has like stati statistics uh, that you need to power up uh, with levels you can unlock items to buy more power-ups to do transformations for example you can you can unlock mario super mario ice mario you can you know do these different kinds of level ups for team leaders and you can also you know you can also assign different Different skills you can power up skills and enemies obviously have elemental types so for example if you're facing an, a fire enemy you need to clear water tiles to inflict more damage uh, so it's a it's this puzzle mechanics mixed with roleplay mechanics in the Mario universe so this is basically a dream come true to me because I like these simple puzzle games but I'm in love with role-playing games so this is a perfect match Literally, for me, it's, it's it's awesome. I'm obsessed. I'm a big fan. I'm yeah. a big, big fan. I love it. There are some things that are strange that I don't think they did well enough. Like, uh, I don't understand why the leaves are called wood. Oh, yeah, this, that's odd. It's <laughs> clearly, know. like, wood type is the type, but they didn't translate it well enough, like, for Mario. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, like, green type. I don't know. I would. I have yeah, no idea. It's strange. And I'm still trying to like properly get my head around like making sure I have a balanced team, but that's you know, that's good. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's maybe too early. I noticed that too, like what what am I supposed to do with all these <laughs> characters that I unlock? Yeah. Uh so I, I just chose the one the ones that I liked visually. <laughs> yeah, see so you, you end up not being able to do that soon. Because it, it gets to the point where like there are different tiles available on different levels. So if, mm -hmm. for example, if you pick like purple toad and there's no purple tiles, then you've wasted a character space. Oh yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, that starts to. I'm starting to get a bit deeper into the strategy now. Yeah, but so you're playing the the Mario universe too. I didn't even know how you would play the other one. Oh, you just need to to press left in the main screen and you go to the normal Puzzle and Dragons one. Right. I probably won't play that. Yeah, I just want my Mario characters. <laughs> yep. I think uh, it's great. I'm in love with this game. Yeah, I, I love puzzle games of this kind, you know, arranging stuff, not too complicated, not not too mathematic, maybe. 
very visual and of course RPG elements. That's the stuff for me. So I'm super happy. And yeah, it's a fun game. It's on the eShop today if you're in America. It's been on the eShop for a few days if you're European. So go check it out. Yeah, highly recommended. We'll probably be talking about this over the next couple of weeks, I reckon. Yep. <laughs> cool. I think that about brings it to the end of this week's episode, Federica. Yeah, it's uh, it's the end, Mike. It is indeed. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you want to catch us online, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can find the uh, episode page and the show notes for this week's episode at relay.fm slash virtual slash 39. If you want to find me online, I'm at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, Federico's at Fetici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, our good friends over at Igloo and Hover, and we'll be back next time. Thank you so much for listening. Say goodbye, Federico. Arrivederci. <laughs>